You're listening to Coffee and Valkyries, a podcast about your favorite NWSL club, OL Reign. Welcome to another episode of Coffee and Valkyries. It may seem trivial for all of us to be talking about soccer right now as a much bigger and more important event is happening in our society. As human beings capable of thought and empathy are tired of police brutality and generations of systemic racism oppressing people of color. And the reckoning is long overdue. Silence equals endorsing these human atrocities and maybe, just maybe this time around, everyone actually listens for once and adds their voice to the chorus demanding things change around here for once. That said, it seemed that with the COVID-19 pandemic continuing to cripple the world in just about every single facet of daily life and the things that give us something to smile about, the idea of the NWSL playing any sort of season looked unlikely with each passing day into spring and summer. However, that has changed. This past Wednesday, the league and its nine clubs announced a month-long tournament taking place in Utah beginning on Saturday, June 27th, called the the 2020 Challenge Cup. The tournament will be live-streamed on CBS All Access with the final match scheduled for Sunday, July 26th. So despite what seeming what appeared to be overwhelming odds, we will see our NWSL teams play after all in 2020. Let's discuss. Susie, Steve, Tim. Hey, I mean, it's, it's soccer. I, I, so I guess the first thing I would say is we're still a month away from the tournament actually kicking off. So I'm still a little bit hesitant to be too excited because as we've seen with this coronavirus pandemic and now with the protests against police brutality things can change very quickly so i am i am i guess i would say i'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to get to see some soccer but i'm also bracing myself for 2020 to throw us another curveball right as as everyone is experiencing right now i um had a little bit of a hiccup and my computer froze. So sorry for the long <laughs> pause after Jacob's very eloquent words. But um, I think I, perhaps like many others, am feeling every emotion right now as it relates to soccer, as it relates to our country. Um, and there are um, exciting things about getting to see live soccer. And there's also a lot of... Um, arguably much more important things happening right now and we can have the space for both but I just think it's more important than ever for us to continue to elevate um, voices who are leading so many efforts for change in this country and hopefully everyone strives to and is able to continue to do so. Well said Susie. So let's talk about the the 2020 Challenge Cup that's going to that's at least been announced in Utah. So, it's basically kind of like a the format is basically kind of like what you'd see in a major tournament like a, you know, World Cup. Obviously, it's going to be a little bit weird being that there's only nine teams in the NWSL. So, you know, as we know that the draw is going to be um happening this coming Monday or at least most likely by the time you are listening to this podcast. The draws already happened, and we know where everyone's placed. But yeah, if you're the ninth team, um, <laughs> you're gonna have a rough schedule. I mean, like ev- the- everyone's is gonna be pretty rough with a lot of short turnarounds. But yeah, Team Nine particularly has it tough. Yeah, I like Jess Fishlock. If folks followed her on Twitter, led a led a lovely hashtag um, 
hashtag no team nine. <laughs> but but if we're if we're looking at last season and the rain's luck, it's it's certainly possible they'll end up in that slot. <laughs> of course. Just another piece of adversity for them to overcome. Maybe they are the actual underdogs of the NWSL. Maybe. Maybe this is the year where the narrative flips. <laughs> yeah. It's cool that they've, you know, that they've announced something because I think we all knew that the NWSL had to at least try to do something as much as, you know, the larger discussion of is it, should there be any sports, whether if it's men's or women's sports happening, you know, during a pandemic. But in the case of a lot of women's sports, they just don't have that affordability to not do anything. Um, and, you know, as we're seeing that in the case of uh, men's sports, you know, given how some uh, soccer teams around the world, their finances are set up, like if they don't play, they're just going to, you know, close up shop for good. But, um, yeah, I've always thought that, yeah, we knew that they were at least trying to do something because they have to at least try to get some games uh, happening. And so, yeah, I share uh, the cautious optimism about it, even though that we still have, you know, a month away before supposedly that first game is going to be kicked. But it is, um, yeah, at least uh, encouraging based on the way they've announced it and how really uh, upfront. Uh, the NWSL is, has been, let, you know, this time under the leadership of Lisa Baird with the, her communication. Yeah, I mean, I just think about what it, what the situation would have been like without her at the helm. She's certainly proven herself as an organizer, a leader, someone who's um, like skilled at working across owners and players and um, to get to a result where everyone feels satisfied is not easy. And she did that while bringing more sponsors on board in a in a year where I have to imagine that probably wasn't an easy task whatsoever and mm -hmm. for folks who maybe hadn't heard the news yet the um the sentiment is that they may be able to actually cover all costs and perhaps even make more from this tournament because of all the sponsorship dollars they received and I just can't um I think about years past in the in the league and when mangoes were our top league sponsor. <laughs> um, they've came a, a long way for sure this year. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. I think and Lisa Barrett has kind of touched on like there's a lot of advantages that the NWSL has that I think other particularly the men's leagues don't have. The fact that the league is still fairly small, so they're able to juggle the logistics of this without as much challenges like MLS would have with 26 teams, that they were really were not tapping into those sponsor dollars in the same way so that they were that she was able to be very proactive and bring in more money and show that, hey, there is actually a market and demand here for women's sports and that they got their new TV sponsor or TV deal with CBS and then also with Twitch so that they were able to leverage that in a way that I think all really kind of came together nicely for this tournament. It also seems like the, uh, you know, NWSL Players Association, their union was able to leverage the negotiating power that they have to get a lot more than it seems like you know, any of the other professional American sports leagues, unions have been able to get in trying to strike deals to start things up again. And 
-hmm. as a result, the approach to the Challenge Cup seems to be much more holistic in terms of not just being able to get players and staff there and have them isolate, but really, you know, making sure that people are going to be more fully taken care of and, um, yeah, just eliminating some of the other variables, I think, that uh, criticism of, like, MLS's approach has been focused on. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I think before all of the news came out about this tournament, um, I saw some chatter on social media like uh, the Players Association may be regretting not signing a collective bargaining agreement last year with the league and sort of running on good faith that they were going to do what's best for them. And um, I feel like it probably would have been hard to do that without a commissioner. Now that they do this year that it I've I've been extremely impre impressed with what the Players Association was able to negotiate where players are getting paid full salaries regardless of whether they play in this tournament or, or not and um, a lot more concessions like you said Tim about their safety and I have to imagine if you're a player who had concerns about your safety um, the the plan that lays that they laid out certainly um, seems to me i'm not an expert but seems to me um really thoughtful and would has certainly uh called concerns on among the players yeah the guaranteed salary is just so massive uh i mean if we're if we're comparing it to other th developments in other sports like you have major league baseball players uh union fighting against their owners of course the you know the narrative of millionaires versus the billionaires, but still the team owners of MLB, MLB teams are basically asking the players to, you know, lose basically, let's just say half their uh, salary because, you know, they're not, they won't be playing the full 162 games. And then, you know, here we have the NWSL Players Association being able to uh, get a really awesome, uh, guarantee that their salaries are going to be there no matter what if they choose to play or not in this uh, challenge cup and yeah it's it's almost it feels surreal really that we because we're all not that far removed from monitoring the situation <laughs> to now we have uh <laughs> there's actually somebody at the helm at the top of the league that is uh you know laying down you know some leadership and is actually communicating uh, well, not only to the media, but also to just fans. Like this is what we're doing. You know, we're we're gonna try our best with this. Uh, you know, getting this tournament going on under, you know, an extraordinary uh, scenario that's going on in the entire world. And um, yeah, there. You know, hopefully uh, everybody will be tuning in to watch the matches. Yeah, I the thing that's that I feel the the one thing that I feel like the the league didn't perhaps answer the most strongly that I think is worth pointing out and um isn't really their problem to solve, but obviously the amount of testing that they're doing requires a lot of tests um that some communities across the country still aren't able to access and uh, they were asked about it in a press call, and I feel like the answer was danced around a little bit. And I, my perspective on that is the league, you know, cannot solve 
state problems um, engaging with communities or or issues across the United States and and private organizations have been able to acquire tests sometimes a lot more easily. Mm -hmm. um, but that's still, I, I would have felt a lot more comfortable if they um, had a little bit more thought and assurance behind how they're accessing those, the, their tests and, and who, is, who is not receiving them as a result. And um, I think the answer is they're coming from out of state. They're not being stolen from any, anyone requiring tests in Utah, but, but we still don't really know where the tests come from. And I know some folks have ex expressed concern about that and some unease, and I totally get that. Same here. And, and I think there's one other question that comes out of this because they are squeezing this tournament into such kind of a condensed time frame over just a single month that it's going to be over kind of in, in late July, but teams are apparently still cleared to practice through November and there doesn't really seem to be a plan for what comes after this yet. And I recognize that some of that is probably because nobody really knows where the coronavirus epidemic is going to be going from here, if there's going to be more restrictions or less restrictions on whether large groups can gather, but I hope they have some ideas about what they want to do beyond this to kind of build on the momentum that the tournament provides if, if they're able to do so. For sure. Yeah, they seem to be um, leaving that appropriately vague and um, saying, we'd love to do something if, if everyone is safe <laughs> while yeah. doing it. So what, what we can guarantee and what everyone who has season tickets knows is that they don't seem to have any plans for what if they do have anything post-tournament that it would involve people in the stands. Yeah, and I think from where we are right now, and it's, you know, obviously it's impossible to project where, how the world is going to be, you know, six months from now. Um, I think that is really just all you, the best anybody can hope for in terms of like, you know, when, when, it's, been, when it's been asked, is there going to be something after this or is this going to basically count for the 2020 end of the season? And, you know, they've said, well, we don't know yet. Maybe we'll, we'll just wait and see. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit, the MLS is sort of as they plans leak about their intentions, that's sort of the same line. Are these games, do they count for anything? Nobody really knows. <laughs> I have to say it is um, pretty interesting to me. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why this is happening. But while we're hearing about plans for the Premier League to restart the Women's Super League in, in um, the UK or in England uh, has halted and stopped their season. And um, we're just sort of having a little bit of a reverse happening here in that the Women's League is um, leading jumpstarting efforts ahead of the men. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. But I also different tune, I guess. Yeah, but I also understand that idea. Like, well, you know, are are women's sports once again going to be like the guinea pig for all of this? You know, kind of like how VAR was just thrown, you know, tacked onto the women's World Cup last summer without anybody, you know, getting any formal training or you know, practicing it out at you know lower levels of the game. What do you guys think about that? Um, I hate, I don't want to use it. So what do you guys think about that talking point that this feels like, the, you know, once again, women's sports are being used as a guinea pig? 
I think one thing I can say from a scientific perspective is that because they're already doing testing on all the players, if we were seeing some underlying um, level of, of um, people infected with coronavirus that they hadn't realized, we would already be seeing, hey, this is a concern. Mm-hmm. And I think going into the process of having the tournament and the systems they put in place to have everyone basically take over a hotel and to have like concierge service if they need things to be you know purchased from a store or whatever i think it, it actually sounds probably even more safe than what the players are dealing with in their current home environments so mm-hmm. i'm i'm not too concerned about this kind of being done blindly like mm-hmm. to the extent that we really can figure anything out it does seem to match best practices and what seems to be actually working for people in cities where they have kind of initiated um you know stay home orders and things yeah i think that talking point would uh, bear a little more weight in my mind if it were closer to, you know, NWSL is also going to do their thing in Orlando and they're just going to do it a month before MLS does. And then when they're done, they'll leave and MLS will come in. Uh, mm. But the, the degree to which this plan seems to be different, that it seems like they're, you know, having the staff of people outside of the teams who are going to be working in the sort of NWSL village that they're creating, um, isolating. And that just seems like it's being very thoughtfully put together and addressed. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't feel like that's the case to me. Yeah, well, I, while I still feel a little bit weird about live sports in general right now, I feel like this is a kind of instance where they're sort of showing, demonstrating a model that they're sort of leading on. And it doesn't feel like, you know, people are putting pressure on the women's league to do something a certain way as guinea pigs. That's, that's at least from the outside is how it's sort of how it's feeling to me. They're sort of leading the charge and, um, identifying best practices which is just an interesting twist like you said though month away who knows what happens in this <laughs> yeah <month>. exactly <laughs> uh, yeah i mean we know that uh the rain have uh formally announced that they're doing their training out in montana before they go down to utah to join up uh, with the other teams that are going to be flying in um and it just seems like from just a little bit that we've we've seen on uh, player social media accounts, like they're just finally happy to be out doing training, but now with training for, with a purpose basically. I mean, and even Montana is a change from just five days ago when we were told they were gonna be flying straight to Utah. So that's (laughs) another example of just how flexible things have to be, I think. Yep. I have to imagine those workers behind the scenes that do all of the logistics and operations are continue to be the unsung hero of teams like the rain. Um, so if you're listening, thank you for all you do. Um, because I know we see a lot of what happens publicly, but I can't imagine figuring out how to get all these people first to Montana and then to Utah safely is, is as easy as it sounds right now. Nope, uh, we did, we did get to see, um, Ali Long perhaps um, unintentionally previewed the, the Montana news a few days <laughs> before it was announced and also said that, that the 
owners um, paid for their paid for their flight to get there. And so um, it's perhaps an example of having some wealthier pockets behind the rain can can have benefits right now. Mm -hmm. So obviously, uh, you know, like we said before, we still got a month before the actual uh, tournament begins. And there's still a lot of time between now and then for the league to announce, you know, how is the broadcast going to be structured? You know, are there's going to be uh, commentators, you know, watching remotely from somewhere else, or is there going to be like a production studio somewhere closer where they can, you know, beam all that stuff in? We'll find out eventually over time. But do you think that they're going to pipe in crowd noise for the broadcast? Like we've seen what Fox has done with Bundesliga. Question. I don't know. I guess first off, what are your guys' stance on that practice that Fox has done with Bundesliga matches? And who knows what NBC is going to do here in the U.S. when it comes to broadcasting Premier League matches uh, once they resume um, on June 17th? I feel like it would be a really weird for the NWSL because we've gone through years where we had games at Sky Blue, for instance, that only had 400 <laughs> people in the stands. So you're kind of accustomed in some ways to being able to pick up some of the sound on the field. So I think if they right. just have some field mics and pick up the, the players calling out to each other and there will be you know some staff in the stands, I really, I think, would prefer that and some sort of bogus you know, laugh track. <laughs> yeah, I think... You go, Susie. Oh, no, you go first, Tim. Oh, um, one, I think my stance on, like, the Bundesliga's use of stadium noise being piped in is maybe odd because I have a tendency to watch most soccer with my TV or computer on mute. Uh, mm -hmm. But I do have a strange maybe fondness for, like, the sound of an empty stadium. Um, I don't particularly know why, but I do enjoy, you know, being able to hear how players talk to each other. And I think that can provide a, an interesting insight into the game that this is a fairly unprecedented situation to begin with. That added level might be nice um, rather than, you know, the sense of trying to create a false sense of normalcy by piping in sound for people that aren't there. Yeah. Yeah. I love being able to hear um, like the sound of the ball getting kicked more often and um, just being able to hear teammates a little bit more. I was um, just thinking about, I got to go to the preseason tournament in Portland last year and I have this very vivid memory of um, I think the uh, rain were playing the U S um, U23 team at the time and uh, they almost let the U23 team score on a counter and I just remember Vladko yelling what are you doing Megan about Megan Oyster and like it was like the sweetest thing it wasn't like viciously yelling at her but you get to hear that being you know in in a quiet stadium and I, I just had that memory when you when we were talking about this and now I miss Vlatko a little bit. I miss Vlatko too. <laughs> I, I, I understand why like Fox uh, has done it for the sake of trying to give it a little bit more 
Pep or at least try to, you know, bring back a little bit more of closer what like a normal uh, match broadcast uh, would be like under normal circumstances. I mean, we don't know what NBC is going to do until we actually start, they start running uh, Premier League games again. I kind of hope that they don't. And because um, yeah, it just adds a new level of um, immersion by just hearing what the players are talking, how they're relaying instructions to each other, trying to cover up whatever guesses of like somebody's taking a free kick or uh, what have you. And Steve, yeah, I remember, I mean, a lot of NWSL fans will are still uh, remember, you know, so many other matches from years past where, you know, you're watching it on YouTube and just, you know, uh, the production values or lack thereof means you just, you can only hear like maybe four people in the stands and um, you hear more of like the environment noise amongst the players and what's happening on the field. So I personally think uh, whatever CBS does with this, I mean, they're going to do whatever they feel like is best to, present this uh, broadcast but I think they should stick it to uh, just keeping you know mics on the field so you can hear what the players are saying what you know how they're relaying instructions to each other and you know it's always fun to hear when players swear when uh, Mm -hmm. they miss a shot or somebody screws up yeah I I will say that like either way to be honest I don't care I if their noise is there I doesn't really bother me if it's not it it's cool. So I'm probably annoying in that it, I'm not really strongly opinionated either way. Yeah. I, for me, it's like, I can take it or leave. It's like, meh. I mean, I understand yeah. it's a, it's, it's a strong issue for other people. And, um, you know, I, I understand what, what, uh, where they're coming from in terms of like, you can't, uh, it's like, you know, like a, a full power made up, you know, straight up like a, a cardinal sin to do that. Um, but yeah, personally, it's I think I hope they keep it to just environment noise from what's happening on the field amongst the players. But at the end, you know, however CBS wants to present the, uh, this tournament uh, when it comes in late June, you know, that's just how they're going to roll with it. Is there anything else about the Challenge Cup you guys want to talk about? Well, I just want to like pour one out in advance for that ninth place team as they head into single elimination games. That'll be really interesting. I, I hope they find something for them to do, like a ping pong tournament at the hotel, because <laughs> it'll be really boring otherwise. Yeah, that would be a good idea. Have them make some content. Yeah, additional content from the NWSL Village would be nice. Um, I just hope it's, you know, nothing like it doesn't go anywhere near the idea like, oh, let's have an NWSL reality TV series, because I just think reality TV is just, um, a very dumb thing and we've recently uh, discovered it's a very dangerous thing and deadly thing Um, for any I would say for anyone uh, just to google the story of what happened to Japanese wrestler Hana Kimura uh, content warning it does come with it's a very tragic tale that involves uh, cyberbullying and suicide but I just think that's an extreme but still a very realistic um, possibility with, that comes with all reality TV, but that's a, di- a discussion for, for mm. a different time. <laughs> yeah, reality TV is super toxic, and these players are funny enough without like the drama attached to it. They could create very wholesome, hilarious content if you just give them the tools. It doesn't have to be in the structure of 
uh, reality, real world NWSL. It doesn't need to be anything like that. Because as everyone knows, we could, we all watch Stu Bird and Megan Rapino go live on the weekends for four hours. So <laughs> nothing, nothing needs to be structured. People will tune in. I was just, oh, go ahead, Tim. Oh, I was just going to say, maybe if Megan Rapino does travel to Utah, we could get some in-person a touch more episodes. That'd be awesome. What was your guys' favorite moment from, uh, the first season of a touch more definitely the haircut <laughs> the haircut was hilarious i just diana tarasi is just incredible she's like the, like the aunt that every family wants where she just starts talking and says oh i've got a story about that like all the kids come running around <laughs> and like she doesn't probably mince words and it's probably not always PC, but like you just, all the kids like want to hear from Aunt Diane. So um, she was my favorite. She's hilarious. Yeah. Story time with Diana Taurasi is in my mind, the unassailable goat of a touch more episodes. Awesome. I never thought I would watch people talk for four hours and here we, there we were. <laughs> We'll try to keep ours to under an hour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody needs to hear me talk for that long. So after the break, uh, we're going to be talking about some changes to Oil Rings roster. Uh, another hard goodbye, but also a welcome addition. So we'll be back with that after the break. So we are back. Um, so for this half of this episode of Coffee and Valkyries, we're going to be talking about some roster changes that happened to Oil Rain before the team embarked on traveling to Montana to get ready for the 2020 Challenge Cup that will be taking place in Utah later in June. So we had another hard goodbye. Um, defender Steph Cadley announced that she would not be returning to the team for the 2020 season. Uh, folks, your thoughts on that? Well, I'm glad that it didn't come as much as a surprise because there's she's she even acknowledged at the start of the year that she was interested in playing in Europe, um, but but had also indicated she thought that might not happen until next season. So in that sense, I'm glad that it wasn't a surprise because Steph Catley is one of my favorite rain players of all time. I think she's like, despite having quite a few accolades, she's severely underrated by a lot of people. And I just think She's pretty irreplaceable uh, as a left back. I mean, they'll fill her shoes, but um, any team that loses Steph Catley loses a fantastic player. Um, so it, it's sad to see her go. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be tough to, to kind of make up for her absence, but it sounds like even if she had come back this year, if things hadn't kind of gone off the rails with coronavirus, that this was probably going to be her last season with the team. So in, in some ways with this tournament, it's kind of a, a, a good opportunity for the team and for the um, Friedman Steedy to kind of figure out what they want to do with that position and see if somebody that's currently on the roster is going to be able to kind of slot in there into the system that he wants to play or if they're going to need to look elsewhere in the next offseason to kind of replace her. So it's, it kind of makes the transition easier in some ways, but tougher in others because she, you know, we didn't actually get to say goodbye in the final game with the rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think from, you know, an on-the-field perspective, the Challenge Cup is a good opportunity to try to figure out what the future at that spot 
looks like, but uh, I know for me personally, an attacking fullback is one of my favorite things in the whole world. And so missing seeing Steph Catley roast people on the wing in a rain jersey is going to be pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah. I did I did appreciate what Bill had to say about, you know, one of the unique things about the Challenge Cup and we've alluded to it already is that the team is going to have to rotate a lot more, which means that there were players who were either injured for parts of last year or were just in a played a position that had really loaded talented players ahead of them that are going to get a chance to shine this year and like you said Steve it might mean that we don't have a left back for the whole season this year but we might say we might determine after you know at the end of it someone is quite well suited for it or it's a position they need to fill it next year and that's I'm, I'm just excited to be able to see all the players get a, a pretty good chance to go at it and show what they're capable of and I would add one other small potential silver lining in this is that um, the rain actually had five players who were going to require international spots going into the season, Catley being one of them. And with her departure now, they are compliant without needing to trade for another spot, which could have cost them another first round draft pick. So that could end up being a, a pleasant reward down the line, depending on how deep next year's graduating class is, that they're going to be able to select another um, promising young player that they might have otherwise had to forego. Yep, that is a very good point, Steve. So unfortunately, with Catley's departure, um, there is that void at left back. However, the club also uh, did bring in, is bringing in another new face to the team. Uh, the club has, uh, has announced the signing of Japanese international Yuka Momiki. Can we talk about this? This is so exciting. I did. This is like, I did not expect a signing like this this year. And, and it came out of the blue. It was just like the, her team announced it one morning and everyone was like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Woso Media, like nobody was tuned into this, like you said. Like usually it starts to trickle out. Meg Linehan maybe gets a hold of some news. We might have heard something. Nothing. This was so surprising. Yeah, it's uh one week weeknight, we just see a tweet and we go, What? And then <laughs> next thing you know, we're all scrambling to, you know, write up a story or, you know, contact the club to, uh, to see if, they, if we can get any sort of confirmation, you know, before it goes official. Then the following morning, boom, there you go. They just signed Japanese international Yuka Momiki. And um, being the fact that she was born in New York, there's, you know, there's no need for an uh, international uh, roster slot. She's an exciting player. I, you know, we've obviously got to see her play with Japan. Um, she's, she's young. Um, and uh, I like that she's really technical and a great passer, but also looks like she's a pretty dangerous um, goal scorer. So uh, I think the question that opens up is like, where where is everyone going to play this year? There's a lot yeah. of talented people in the attack and um, seemingly she's a right winger, um, but so is Sofia Huerta, and so are a lot of other great players. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the lineup looks like when the team starts to play. 
Yeah, I spent some time trying to figure that out too. And I was thinking, well, maybe they're going to use her more as a number 10 because she's got a lot of like kind of playmaking highlights. But then I remembered, no, they've also signed Shirley Cruz. <laughs> so mm -hmm. every position where you think, oh, I can move somebody to here and make it and resolve one position. Now you've just actually added a new problem at a different position, which in, in some ways is great because I would much prefer this than to say, oh my God, we have no center backs who's going to play. Yeah, the problem of too many good players is not one I'm going to complain about. Yeah, I'd rather the team have the problem of like, we have all this talent, but there's only 10 outfield positions. You know, who, how, we, how are we going to uh, make sure everybody gets, you know, a decent amount of time within those 10 outfield positions? And with the structure of this Challenge Cup, it, it definitely is going to be uh, roster depth is going to be uh, tested. Uh, for OL, OL Reign. Um, so it'll be, it'll be fun to see what Fareed Bensidi does with so, so much talent. And, and we should add, I don't think we mentioned it in the last segment, but one of the extra concessions the league has made for part of this tournament is they've actually expanded roster size again. So now teams can carry up to 28 players to Utah. And it sounds like based on Bill Predmore's comments that the Reign are planning to probably have 27 or 28 players on the roster, which means a few more players are going to get signed. Yeah, and I think we've all been trying to figure out, okay, trying to work our, you know, our, lim our small but mighty uh, network of like, okay, who are they trying to sign? Okay, maybe instead of guessing who, we should, we should all say who we want them to sign. <laughs> well, who do you want them to sign, Susie? Oh, oh man, I have to go first. <laughs> you brought it up. I know. I thought you guys would say very smart well, things and I could follow. I'll jump in and say that Wendy Renard is still potentially available and she would go great next to Lou Barnes in the back. She's already played with Jess Fishlock and they seem to really adore each other. So there you go. And then Megan Rapino said that she would like to put in a good word to Wendy about uh, Tacoma. It's true. Did she talk about Salt Lake City? I'm sure you can cover that in a, a couple minutes. Tim, who would you who would you like to see uh, Rain sign? Being that uh, CEO Bill Perrmore has uh, has said that there's going to be one or two coming in the next couple of weeks. You know, I really am having a tough time of thinking of anybody better than Big Wendy. I mean, Wendy Renard would be an absolute dream. Um, you know, maybe if we have to replace Steph Catley, we could go get another attacking fullback. What's, what's Lucy Bronze doing right now? Huh? Her season got canceled. No, I think they still might play, but okay. I do have two names. Okay. One, I would bring back Elizabeth Otto. Mm-hmm. We didn't get enough time with her, and she was super fun to watch. Um, and then I would call up um, Barcelona and see if Asisat um, Oshala from Nigeria Ooh. would come. And I'm sorry if I didn't get that name right. I tried. I like this idea of playing with nine attackers and one center back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why not? It worked for North Carolina. True. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you can, yeah, you may get one goal in on them, but they'll just barrage you back with like four. What about you, Jacob? 
Um, the safe wish list uh, player would be uh, Wendy Bernard for me. Um, and I think you guys are very familiar with my stance on Jennifer Marazon. I'm well aware, and that's who I thought would probably be top of mind, although I thought you might give a little concession since yeah. she, she had other names attached to her. And there is a chance we'll see her in Utah, just not with the rain. Yeah. <laughs> since she and uh, Sarah Buhadi have been connected to the Royals, interestingly enough. Yeah, it's fascinating how it seemed like that deal, those two deals were about to, you know, reach the sign seal delivered, but then the pandemic hits and then it's like, well, all deals uh, could be pretty much uh, axed. And then now, you know, Buhari has at least confirmed that she is in advanced negotiations with uh, Utah Royal. So it looks like it could still happen, provided they're able to get her over here, you know, from France. But um, is it a possibility that maybe one or two or both signings that um, Predmore has alluded to could be uh, somebody graduating from their youth academy? They have talked about wanting to to be among the first to sign a homegrown player, but I'm curious because it sounds like the league is planning to institute such a rule in the future but hasn't done anything yet. Makes me think that probably that's still a year or two away because mm -hmm. I think their, their most senior players are still only sophomores in college, so maybe in another year or two we might see one of them come join the team. Yeah, they've certainly got some some talent emerging that um, would be would be great to be able to snatch up in you know two years down the road, like you said. Okay. But I think more realistically, probably we should be looking at the names of the uh, trialists that they've invited to join them in Montana, because that probably is going to be at least one or two of the signings would be from that group. And, you know, that's probably more depth players, but they could be, you know, more diamonds in the rough like Bethany Balser was last year. So who knows? Mm -hmm. And it's also uh, from like a financial term standpoint, it could just be the safest thing to do uh, in the, you know, uh, rain are already at the limit for international slots unless they, you know, trade for another spot to acquire an international player and, just, you know, we know how much, uh, how expensive that whole process can be. Um, yeah, I think, uh, Steve, you're, you're correct in that it most likely is that one of the signings could be somebody that's being brought on to join the team in training camp and they just uh, up graduate them, you know, upgrade their, contra their contract to a roster player. But of course, who knew that Yuka Momiki still had a U.S. passport? So it's clearly somebody in the Rain front office has been doing their homework and finding these players. So it wouldn't shock me if we're all surprised in a couple of days when some other big name comes out of the woodwork and it turns out they were born in Kansas City or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I, who knew Wendy Renard has a U.S. passport? <laughs> None of us. I wouldn't complain. Yeah. Yeah, nobody would complain. <laughs> It'll be interesting. I know usually we get a lot of, um, you know, insight from some of the early preseason games um, about what players maybe are emerging as potential signees, and we may not get that this round, this time around. Hopefully, we'll get a little bit of a of a preview from the team. Um, I guess that's all about all we can ask for for this situation. 
is there anything else that uh, we should cover based on uh, happenings in the NWSL and OL reign from this past week? Well, I, I think the one big question that probably a lot of people have is which, if any, of the OL reign players are not going to report to the tournament in Utah. And it seems like, you know, a fair number of people are thinking, well, maybe Megan Rapinoe is going to sit out because she is, you know, um, wants to protect her body and recover and prepare for the Olympics next year. Mm -hmm. But um, as of now, it sounds like there hasn't been any indication either way for her. And most of the other players are already traveled to Montana. So um, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that or if it's something we should really even spend a lot of time thinking about, but I'd love to hear. I think it definitely seems like if someone was going to sit the tournament out, it would be Rapino. Um, but I don't really, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable speculating about whether she would or would not sit out. Uh, the only other person really is, I mean, even Celia Jimenez Delgado, who was out of the country, they've already talked about plans for her to fly to Tacoma and then to meet the team. So it seems like, if anything, Rapino is probably the only maybe at this point. Yeah, I don't, I don't um, have any speculations overall, except for to say like, whatever each player, whatever decision each player makes is the right decision for them. So um, I won't be disappointed in anyone one way or the other. Yeah, and, and the team has definitely shown that they can make do without her as they had plenty of success last year making do without a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh, as we are approaching the end of this episode of Coffee and Valkyries, is there anything else you guys would like to say? The floor is yours. I think I would just say I hope everyone is um, st staying safe and I my heart and thoughts are with everyone right now. We're all dealing with a lot. Um, and I just hope everyone's safe. I would agree yeah, with I that. Think... Like, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh. yeah, I, I, um... I, I would agree, because I think it's, it's a very stressful time and a very, a time where a lot of people have a lot of righteous anger and frustration. And if sports aren't, you know, at the top of your mind, I totally understand. And, and you know, it's very difficult for all of us, I think. To, to stay focused and to stay angry and to stay safe and to stay healthy. And who knows what the next month is going to bring. Hopefully we're going to be able to talk about a soccer tournament soon. Yeah, I would just echo that sentiment. I think there is a lot to be done at the moment and a lot of feelings to be felt. Um, just... I guess the only thing I would really add is that it's uh, reasonable and okay to feel all of those things. And it's also reasonable and okay to feel overwhelmed and exhausted and to need to take a break sometimes and to encourage people to feel okay with themselves for needing to do that. Well said, everybody. And thank you for uh, closing this episode with your thoughtful and uh compassionate words about obviously what's going on in the country and, and the world. Um, yeah, we're all processing it and reacting it as best as we all can. And 
you know, like Tim said, um, it's it's fine to be to feel overwhelmed from everything that's going on and to want to have a take a break uh, for your self health and you know hope you know thinking about and watching soccer and hopefully what's to come with uh, the return of the Premier League and then you know with the with the 2020 NWSL Challenge Cup, you know it, it can be a, an outlet for for many of us that just need to take a break away from, you know, everything, everything that's going on. And it's not to say to to, uh, dismiss or, you know, disrespect what's uh, going on, you know, in our communities, but we do still have to take care of ourselves as best as we all can respectively can with however, however we can. And, you know, sports is, can be that thing that, you know, heals us. Very well said as well, Jacob. I appreciate you um, organizing us to talk about soccer and everything else and for all you do to bring a voice to the women in this league. And that's the same for everyone who's listening as well. Thank you, Susie. I'm only as good as my colleagues are. And, you know, you guys here at, uh, Writer the Valkyries are, you know, instrumental in that as well as our greater uh, women's soccer media community and that we've all shared stories with and sought advice from and, you know, shared good and bad memories. So uh, I'm only a byproduct of the people I get to work with that I also have the great honor of calling my friends. That got nice and sentimental. I like ending that way. <laughs> Same here. So... <laughs> So for everyone listening, thank you, uh, as always, for taking the time to listen to us. Um, we will be back as soon as we can, hopefully with another OL Rain player interview or two. But, you know, we know that they have uh, some training to uh, take place. But uh, hopefully we'll be back uh, with another episode featuring another OL Rain player interview. So until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care of yourself.